Amen. Thank you so much, choir and orchestra. And I know that so many of you were up late last night. Some of you watching a football, some of you watching a ball drop, and some of you because your neighbors kept shooting off the fireworks. And maybe they still are. I felt like that when I finally fell asleep. Uh, But I'm glad to see you here, and we'll try to keep you awake as I preach the sermon this morning. Uh, My five-year-old son, Andrew, I think he's out there. You want to wave, Andrew? You can wave if you'd like to. Okay. Well, Andrew, um, a while back, just this past week, I was putting him to bed upstairs, and he said, Daddy, how do I get a phone and how do I get a driver's license? And so uh, he's five, and he was real curious about that kind of thing. I said, well, you got to get money to get a driver's license, I mean, to get a uh, phone, and you got to be able to pass a test to get a driver's license. He said, well, what if I don't pass the test? I said, well, they'll let you take it again. Dad, did you have to take the driver's test again? I said, son, you're getting personal now. But uh, (laughs) yes, I did. But I've passed it on the second time. So maybe you too can pass it uh, and beat your daddy passing on the first time. But I read an interesting article. uh, It was actually published uh, years ago in the New York Times, September 2010, about a lady named Cha Sa Soon, a Korean lady. Um, She was in her late 60s and wanted her driver's license. Uh, She had not gotten one, and she wanted to get one. She lived in a mountainous village in uh, South Korea, and that was kind of the goal of her life, was to get this driver's license. And so in April of 2005, she went to take her driver's test for the first time, and she failed it. But she uh, kept going. In fact, the next day she went back to take the test undaunted, took the test again, and she failed again. So she went back the next day to take her driver's test. She took the driver's test and she failed. Well, she continued to go once a day, five days a week to take her test. Eventually, she started only going about twice a week. Three years later, on her 960th attempt, Cha Sasun got her driver's license. I don't know if they let her drive, but they did give her a driver's license. <clears throat> Well, she became somewhat of a national hero. She started appearing in uh, commercials for uh, cars, of course, all over the country, and they started calling her Grandma Chasasun. Well, um, coincidentally, the article says that her name in Korean means vehicle. So uh, that's what I would say you call persistence 960 times. Hopefully, Andrew, you can beat that. Well, Jesus speaks about persistence, and I think that's a perfect message for us on the first day of the year. Because if you're like the rest of the world, that here in just a few hours, maybe a few weeks, maybe a little bit longer, you will be struggling to persist in whatever commitment you made for 2017 on all of those New Year's resolutions. So I'm going to read to you from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and I'm going to start in verse 1. But in the context here is that Luke has already told us that Jesus has been teaching his disciples and he's actually been talking to them about the second coming of Christ and um, about God's kingdom coming into the world. And it was kind of this apocalyptic message. In those days, it'll be like the days of Noah. The people will be living in sin and all of a sudden, then he'll show up. So in Luke 18, all of a sudden, Jesus teaches a parable about prayer. He then told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect man. And a widow in that town kept coming to him, saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later 
he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay them to help them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on earth? Well, this parable is called the parable of the persistent widow. Sometimes it's called the parable of the unjust judge. But those are the two main characters, of course, in Jesus' story here. Um, A widow and a judge. And they are remarkably different people. Uh, On one hand, we have the judge, and Jesus tells us most about the judge here. He's the primary character, I guess. And the judge is a man. Um, He's a man of power. He's a man of authority. We would imagine he's also a man who's very prosperous, okay? So that's who we have on one hand. On the other hand, we have this widow. The widow is a woman. The widow is uh, likely powerless um, and probably also penniless. Um, She also... Um, would be in a very vulnerable position because she doesn't have a male uh, figure to support her. And in the culture where Jesus lived and would tell this story, that's the context of the life for a widow. Um, This uh, widow, she wouldn't be assumed that this woman could um, inherit her husband's property or uh, his possessions. Um, She was in a very vulnerable position. And so they're assumed things in our culture, but in that culture, you would assume that she was probably going to be taken advantage of. Um, That's kind of a recipe for unjust actions towards a widow when they can't really own property or vote or represent themselves. So that's why God in the Old Testament and the New Testament is very clear, because he's concerned about vulnerable people, and he tells his people that you're to care for and show concern towards those that are widows, those that are in vulnerable positions in life. Well, this woman in Jesus' story is the subject of one more tragic tale of a widow who has been sinned against and possibly even the victim of kind of a criminal activity of some sort of crime. The focus of the story is not what happened. It's not, we don't know the details of what happened in her life. All we know is that something unjust happened to this widow. She was maybe robbed, maybe she was abused, maybe she was manipulated, maybe she was taken advantage of. We don't really know. That's not the point of the story. We don't know the details. All we know is that she wants justice against an adversary. She had some sort of enemy who had done something to her and she wanted justice there. Well, if you end up in a situation where you feel like uh, something unjust has happened to you, you have kind of avenues to get justice. Well, this lady would have the same opportunity through a judge, And um, we we can assume that there were a few ways she could probably get justice, except for the fact that she didn't have money, so she probably couldn't couldn't bribe the judge. She didn't have power, so she couldn't threaten the judge. Her only hope was to pester the judge. Um, Unfortunately, she has kind of a doozy of a judge. Um, The story that Jesus tells tells us tells us two facts about the man. It uh, uh, It says here there was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God, or respect man. So two things we know about him. He didn't fear God, so he didn't see himself as under authority. He didn't see himself as having to uh, uphold some sort of moral code or do the right thing or anything like that. Second thing is he didn't respect his fellow man. 
So he didn't really care if somebody was a victim of some sort of crime. He didn't care what happened to them. It was kind of a dog-eat-dog kind of world for this judge. And uh, this woman kind of got the short end of the stick, but she's undaunted. She evidently becomes a pest to the judge, persistently asking him, requesting justice from this judge. Now you can imagine probably how it went down. You know, he would head out in the morning and there she was, waiting at the doorstep. Uh, Good morning, Judge. While I was in the neighborhood, I thought I'd stop and tell you about my case. You think you could uh, help me out here? I've got, I need justice. And he would just ignore her. So went on, went head out for lunch or whatever they did in that culture. And uh, there she was at his favorite spot. Uh, Judge, nice to see you. Just happened to be here. Wanted to talk to you about my case, you know. And that night he'd go home and there she'd be at the curb. Well, since you've got a few minutes, can we talk about my case? And so it just would go on and on and on. We don't know how long. Days, weeks, months, years. Uh, that's not the important time as in material here. All we know is verse 4 says, for a while he was unwilling. So for a while she just kept pestering and persisting. And he didn't give in. He didn't care. But then what we know is eventually the judge says, because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Well, so for those of you who don't have kids, or for those of you who your kids are older, and you forget what it was like, we are in the phase in the church household where we have four kids between the ages of three and eight. And people like to say, oh, that's a fun age. And what I think they mean is, that's a fun age because they're in school, you know? Well, uh, right now, they're not in school. We're on Christmas vacation in our school district until Wednesday. And so Christmas vacation for us has been filled with um, persistence. Our kids would be gold medalists if it was an Olympic sport of pestering or persisting. Um, Constantly, what we heard all Christmas vacation is, um, uh, Mom, 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 Dad, can I have a snack? Um, Nope, can't have a snack. It's not even breakfast yet. Let's talk about snacks after breakfast. Mom, Dad, can can I use your phone? I want to play a game. No, you can't play my phone. Can I please play your phone? No, not right now. Maybe later. Dad, is it later yet? Can I play your phone now? No, you can't. You cannot play my phone right now. Dad, can I get up yet? No, son. It's Saturday morning, 5 a.m. Please go back to sleep. (laughs) Dad, can I get candy? No, you cannot have candy. Dad, can I get up yet? It's only 5.05. Go back to sleep. Dad, is it later yet? Can I get up yet? Please, get up. Go. Go shut the door. Don't wake up your brothers. Just quietly find something to do, you know? That's kind of what it's like in my family. So I understand what this judge is saying when he says, because this widow keeps pestering me, I think many parents know what that's like. So for us in the church household, it's Sunday, but Wednesday is coming when they go back to school. (laughs) But the point of this story is not why did the judge bring justice. The point of the story is that the judge does bring justice. He does give the widow justice. Well, sometimes interpreting a parable can be real complicated. There's a lot of different opinions on how to interpret and apply uh, the truths of a parable. But right off the bat, Luke gives us some great commentary here. Verse 1, he says, He then told them a parable, this is Jesus, on the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. I could probably have just stopped right there with our text. We could have just focused right there the whole time. He told them of the need for them to pray always and not become discouraged. How many need to hear a good word from God's perfect word this morning? I think that's a word for us. 
that we, there is a need for us as believers to pray and not get discouraged. Do any of you have something you've been praying for? Maybe you've been praying for it for a long time. It's about somebody who's got a need and you're on the verge of being discouraged because you just don't see any sort of action on that prayer request. Maybe you've already grown discouraged. Well, Jesus says in here a story to talk to them about the need to pray and not to give up praying. Have you given up praying? Have you seen a family member run from the Lord? And you were praying for him for a while, but now you just don't even think about him when it comes to praying. Or maybe there's somebody in your life that routinely has rejected the gospel and you've just almost given up praying for them. Or you kind of watch our society spiral out of control and you've almost just kind of given in and stopped praying for it. He explains uh, the point of this story at the conclusion of verses 6 through 8. He says, then the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Pay attention to that judge. Verse 7, will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay to help them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find that faith on earth? Have you given up praying? Are you afraid that God's not going to answer your prayer? Well, Jesus uses an argument here. It's called a fortiori argument. It's kind of going from the lesser to the greater. He's saying if this unjust judge yielded to the continuous pestering of this widow who was a stranger, who he felt no respect for, and if he granted her the vindication that she sought, how much more will God, who is just and always loving, as a loving father, how much more will he come and hear the cries of his chosen ones who, who cry out to him day and night? Now, I know we need to invite some questions here because they're in here. The verse says, uh, Jesus says, I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. And I know some of you read that and you think, swiftly? It doesn't seem like he's moving very swiftly in my life right now. You know, or you say, swiftly grant me justice. And you think, you look at the world and you say, no, what I see in the world is kind of the opposite of justice. And so you're saying, what's going on here? Well, here's what we can be sure of. Let me give you some assurances here. Number one, once the proper time has arrived, the Lord will move very quickly. You will not have to beg him to move quickly when the proper time arrives. One commentator says, the problem is not with God. He will answer when you need it. You can count on that. The problem is with us. He says, when Christ returns, will there be anyone here who calls out in faith day and night? Will we become so lazy in our faith that we allow people of persistent prayer to become extinct? Contextually, we know that the prayer that Jesus is primarily speaking of is that one of thy kingdom come. Because that's what kind of the context when he's talking about the coming of the Lord. It's about God coming to make the world right. Will believers be faithful in praying that prayer when Jesus comes back? Will he find believers praying that prayer? Or will we have given up believing that Jesus is actually going to return? That Jesus is actually going to come and make, some, make things right? Will we give up believing that and give up praying that? Jesus' point is, may it not be so. When you pray, you're communicating with your heavenly Father who loves you dearly. Don't give up. Be persistent. 
as you pray to him. I think one of the primary challenges for us in understanding this parable is because we just assume we all understand what prayer is about, right? We've been hearing about prayer since we were in the preschool department of Sunday school. We know what prayer is. Uh, but I'm afraid we haven't matured beyond what we heard as a child when it comes to prayer. And our prayers have been reduced to praying before meals, praying before we go to bed, maybe praying when, for somebody when they're sick. Well, so let's visit this idea of prayer. What exactly is Jesus speaking about here? Prayer, simply put as this, it is talking to God. So we have his word where we can hear his voice. We know what he has to say about us praying and not growing discouraged. And then in prayer, we get to communicate to him. We get to talk to God and share with him what's on our heart. To make requests of him. To just kind of open up ourselves to him. That's what prayer is. Jesus uses this widow as an example of how we're to pray. He says you're to pray with persistence. And I feel compelled to preach on this today because, frankly, I think we've just lost it when it comes to praying persistent prayers. Luke records another parable where he kind of talks about what that's like. Actually, in Luke 11, just a few uh, chapters before that, verse 5, Jesus also said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I don't have anything to offer him. Then he will answer from inside and say, don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I have gone to bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he won't get up to give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his friend's persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Jesus says, so I say to you, keep asking and it will be given to you. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened to you. Jesus says we're to pray with persistence. We should knock and we should just keep on knocking. We are to pray often and we are to pray continuously about those things that are on our heart. And you know what the difference is? I think for American Christians, the way we approach God in prayer is this. We sit down to a meal and we pray. And then we go to bed we pray. Maybe somebody's sick, and we pray. That's very different from what God calls us to, which is this continuous knocking so that the door will be opened to us. Well, why is that? Why are we so different from what Scripture calls us to? Well, I think one thing, maybe, maybe we're just too busy. Do you find that you're too busy to pray? Do you find you're too busy to pray? Researchers tell us that American Christians pray on average four minutes a day. That's about all we can find in our day to pray. So we pray about four minutes a day. Maybe we're just too busy. Maybe our schedules are way too filled. Or maybe we don't believe that prayer does any kind of good. We think it's just kind of, you know, uh, psychological pep talk, you know. It's just something to kind of get us motivated. But we really don't see the effect of prayer. Or maybe we've looked around and we prayed for things and we just see trouble and it's affected us in a way that we say prayer doesn't really work. God doesn't answer prayer. He's going to do what he wants to do and accomplish these things. And what's heavy on my heart doesn't really matter. I just need to suck it up and move on, you know? Those things may be true. But what I think, the reason I think we don't pray very much is because we don't walk very closely with God. I think we don't pray very much because we don't walk very closely with God. I can tell you who's close to you in your life based on who you talk to most often. Who you want to call, who you want to text, who you want to like their comment on Facebook. You know, I know who you like based on that and who you want, you're in close with. 
And if you're not in communication with God, then how could you make an argument that you're walking closely with him? In the parable of the persistent widow, Jesus is not drawing a parallel between God and the judge. I think that's what we read that. The judge is the main character. We've heard God referred to as a judge. So we're like, God's kind of, you know, all he is is gets annoyed. And that's why he answers. God, he's not drawing a parallel between God and the judge. Jesus is looking at the widow and he's comparing it to the one who makes petitions in prayer. That's the parallel. It's between the widow and the, the petitioner, the one who makes requests to God. David Wells says there's two aspects to the parallel between the widow and the petitioner. He writes, first, the widow refused to accept her unjust situation just as the Christian should refuse to resign himself uh, herself, to himself or herself to the world and its fallenness. The widow didn't say, well, this is just the way it is, I'll move on. She refused to accept what was happening to her. And so she kept on keeping on, right? Second, despite discouragements, the widow persisted with her case, as should the Christian with his or hers. That's what Jesus is saying to us in this story. The widow, she didn't give up just because, you know, she just kept on. She wasn't going to accept the way things were. And secondly, just because he didn't, didn't respect God and didn't respect man, she wasn't going to ignore it. She was going to keep on keeping on. Even though she should have been discouraged, she was kept on making her request. Wells says that the nature of petitionary prayer is in essence rebellion. I think that's a neat thing. I've never heard, I'd never heard that until I read that. Prayer in essence is rebellion. Have you ever thought of prayer that way? Prayer as rebellion. If you're like me, you look around at the world, you watch the news, you see places like Aleppo and what's happening there. I think we woke up to news this morning of another tragedy in another part of the world and you pay attention to what's happening in Charleston, the wickedness of this young man, and you just think this is not the way the world should be. What can I do? What can we do? What do we do? Or maybe you hear of a loved one who's dealing with something just so complicated, and you try to understand, and then you try to understand why our culture is spiraling out of control when it comes to sin. You think, what am I to do? When people in our society, we saw this a lot last year, people in our society are disturbed by things they disagree with. They hold protests and rallies. Child of God, do you know what we are to do? We are to rebel through prayer. That's what we can do. We can rebel through prayer. In petitionary prayer, you are invited before the throne of God to declare your opposition to the world and its fallenness and the way it's spiraling out of control and to refuse to accept that this is just the way it is. That's what petitionary prayer gives you. When God says it should be this way and it looks this way, then we go to God in prayer and say, God, let your kingdom come here. Let your kingdom come because it sure doesn't look the way we think it should look according to your will and your great purposes. So Wells writes, nothing destroys petitionary prayer as quickly as resignation. Just a few weeks ago, I read this article and I just found myself just thinking about my own prayer life and where I've just resigned myself to the belief that this is just the way it is. Loved ones, family members that I've just kind of given up praying for because I've just resigned myself. Well, they've just kind of given themselves over to sin. Well, nothing is going to shut my prayer life up like resignation. The widow in Jesus' story wouldn't relent 
when the judge was, I mean, when she was petitioning the judge, even though he was to be feared and you know despise God, well, we have a heavenly Father who loves us, who cares for us, who says, "Please come forward, make your requests known." He gives us the confidence to go before Him, and then Jesus even says, "When you approach Him, you don't have to pray like the religious people." You don't have to pray like the pious people. You listen to the way that a child talks to their father. That's how you talk to God. And you say, our Father, Heavenly Father, I'm just looking at this world. This is not the way it should be. Father, can you please send peace into this person's life? So we pray to our Heavenly Father, and we pray with persistence. Notice, we don't have to pray eloquently. We don't have to pray repetitively. We don't have to pray lengthy prayers. That's not what persistence is. Persistence is about continual conversation with God. We are consistent in speaking to Him and making our requests known. But our prayers just get diminished because we've resigned ourselves to the way of the world, which should not be the way it is. So you give up hope. You stop praying. Well, I'm not sure God can do anything about that anymore. And all of a sudden you give up hope that God listens or that God cares or God's going to do anything about it. So our prayers have been silenced. Well, some of you have heard a phrase in the last few weeks. You'll recognize this. The phrase is this, rebellions are built on hope. Well, if prayer is rebellion, then rebellion is built on the hope that God hears, that God cares, and that God will respond. Do you hope in God? then you rebel through prayer. To pray says that God and his world are at cross purposes right now. But if we grow discouraged or we lose heart or we grow faint, that's to act like that they're not, that the way of the world is the way it should be. Unlike the widow, we find it really easy to come to terms with injustice in our world. It's just the way it is. Not because we're unaware, but because we feel powerless to change. So let me, let me try to draw some application for us. It's January 1st. It's the day of resolutions. There's no power in January 1st. It's just all our attention is on the fact that we've got a clean slate in front of us. And so a lot of people are going to make resolutions. Some of you are going to up that membership at the Family Life Center. Some of you are going to you know, decide to stick to that diet for a couple days. It's maybe a couple hours. So, so some of you are going to make all kinds of decisions about what you're going to do with your life. Can I just ask you that today, the first day of the year, why don't you say, God, as a child of yours, living in this world, what is it that you want me to do this year? And you turn to God as a child of God, as a little outpost of heaven right here in your family, in your workplace, in your school environment, wherever you are, wherever you do business, God, what do you want me to do? Some of you need to pick up the Bible and you need to start having daily habits where you're in the Word. But can I ask us this? Let's make a resolution as a church. In 2017, let's resolve to pray and not grow discouraged. I think that's the word for us for today. Maybe there's something you stop praying for. Pick it up. You start hammering away. You start pounding away at the throne of God for that. In 2017, you take that request before the Lord and you say, God, would you bring your kingdom to bear in this situation? Pray and do not become discouraged. And I'm going to give you two things. Two things that I was thinking about. It's like, okay, what could we pray this year that might just really change us to become more like him? I'm going to give you two things that I thought about. Number one is this. Would you pray this year? God, would you give me your eyes to see other people? I think we go through this world and we just see people as somebody else. 
and we fail to see them the way that God sees them. If we saw people the way that God sees them, we would know they are deeply loved and cared for so much that God would send his son to die on the cross for them. So as you're talking to these people, God, give me your eyes so I can see and care for them and treat them in a way that you would want me to treat them. And not only that, if you see them with God's eyes, then all of a sudden, you're going to be really concerned about their eternal destination. And so the second prayer is this. God, give me opportunities to share the hope that's within me. You know, I think we've just resigned ourselves to the fact that, or to the belief that people are just going to do what they want to do. Rather than the fact that God has sent us out on mission as his ambassadors to carry the gospel to him. So let's start praying those prayers this year. Now let me point out something from this passage that really stood out to me. When we pray, very often we say, you know, people will say that God doesn't answer prayers because I still haven't got what I asked for, you know. Some people went through Christmas and they said, I didn't get what I asked for one more time, you know. So we pray and we say, God doesn't hear us because I don't get what I asked for. Did you notice here in verse 5, it says, Yet because the widow kept pestering me, I will give her justice. He doesn't say, I'll give her what she wants. He gives her justice. Now that's what she wanted. But it was justice. Sometimes we may not get exactly what we ask for, but God knows how to give us exactly what we need. Now as I said before, the judge is not meant to serve as a parallel figure to God. Let me give you the good news. The judge is, even though he's unjust and unloving, we don't get the judge of Luke 18 over our lives. We get the true and better judge. We get Jesus. God gives us what we need even when we don't know what to ask for. Scripture says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we didn't even know we needed a Savior, Jesus went to the cross and carried our sins. So if you've never responded to that before, let me tell you, you can get your prayers right, but you've got to get that prayer right first. In 2017, first day, like that guy was baptized today, what an unbelievable testimony that was. Maybe that needs to be your testimony today, that I'm today going to give my life to Jesus. Our Father in God, we thank you so much that we have this opportunity to come here together, to worship you, to celebrate a risen Savior. God, and we thank you that you've given us an invitation to come before you in prayer. God, let us not grow weary or grow faint or grow discouraged in our prayers. But in 2017, let us persist with petitionary prayers. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now we're going to have an invitation. Some of you need to respond to the gospel. We have people who would love to show you from God's word how you can do that. Some of you need to make a decision about joining the church today. Some of you may just need to make a commitment of, God, I'm going to live for you this year. And as part of that, I'm going to start praying as you've called me to pray. So I'm going to invite you to stand as our choir sings, you respond.
be seated. So glad that y'all were here this morning. Just a couple things I want you to let want to let you know about. Um, first of all, um, this Wednesday our programs kick back off, so we will have our Wednesday night dinner along with prayer meeting, programs for children and students, choir rehearsals, everything. So that starts this Wednesday. And then next Sunday, we will kick off our Sunday evening programs. You can check out the bulletin or the website to learn more about that. Uh, we also, for those of you who have uh, kids in the student ministry, there's a parent rally this Friday. You can still RSVP to be at the parent rally. You can do that. Um, there's information in the bulletin or on the website of how to do that as well. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, last, last week, in fact, we were talking about how we were going to deal with finances this year. And so they printed us somewhere in here. I was struggling. The back page how we did an un impressive thing um, that uh, we had a victory goal of $740,000. And so far, praise the Lord, uh, we've brought in $836,060. So thank you so much for your faithfulness. Now the pastor right now is in Israel. And I thought we should call him and let him know how we did financially. So we're going to see if we can make this work, okay? I don't know where they are, so we'll just interrupt them, whatever's going on. Your call has been forwarded to an automated That ain't going to work. <laughs> That's not good. And he'll probably say, Wes, I don't have my password, so I didn't know how to get my phone to work. So uh, this is not good, folks. This is not good. So we're going to try this one more time, and then we may be out of luck, and we'll have to send him, send him some sort of request here via... Twitter. Do what? Persistence. Persistence. I hear you. Thank y'all for listening to my sermon. I appreciate it. Oh, hold up a second. Maybe you don't want that put out there. I don't know. We're going to leave him a request. I mean, we're going to say, we're going to, we're leaving a message, okay? When you're finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. Pastor, it's uh, Sunday, January 1st. It's 11.30 here. I think it's probably 6.30 where you are. And uh, I'm sitting here at church. We've been trying to call you. And uh, my sermon was on persisting. And the congregation wanted to stay for 15, 20 more minutes to keep praying. I mean, to keep calling. But uh, we're not going to do that. So uh, what we wanted to let you know is that uh, you know we had a big goal going into December of $740,000. And so our congregation wanted to celebrate because so far uh, uh, for 2016 at December, we have, uh, they have, God has blessed and people have faithfully given $836,000 and $36,000, what is that, $836,060. All right, we're excited. We don't know where you are or what you're looking at, but we're praying for you and everybody that's with you. And um, next time, don't turn your phone off so we can call you. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. All right, well, that's all we've got. I'm not going to persist any longer, so I'll call him later and tell him that didn't work. But uh, anyways, well, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray a prayer, uh, a benediction, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, how good it is to gather with the family of God. Father, let us be faithful in that this year as we just continually celebrate you and what you're doing in our life and what you're doing in our world. Father, help us to be salt and light in 2017. It's in Christ's name we pray.